the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Talk 910 KNEW San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. We could talk about something kind of interesting like Walmart. They've launched a price war with Amazon.com. They're going to sell the 10 hotly coolest, most anticipated books of the season for $10 a piece. So Amazon does that, and Walmart fires back and says, let's do a $9 uh, book. Amazon fires right back, and they're going to do a $9 book. Now, I don't know if you want to get Stephen King's Under the Dome, but you can get it for $9 now at Walmart and Amazon. As a price war heats up, we the consumer wins. Or do you want to get Sarah Palin's Going Rogue? That, too, will be $9. I don't think they're going to sell that many Going Rogues. Okay, actually, they probably will, because the middle part of America will, will consume it and eat it right up. Get some phone calls. Let's go to David on a cell. Okay, let's go to who should I go to? Let's go to George and San Ramon. George, hi, how are you, Rob? How are you? Doing good. I was listening to Ting talk earlier. Yep. You know, everybody forgets how Prop Thirteen got got there in the first place, and how it got there was all the tax assessors used to divide the counties up into like 20% segments and come around and reassess property. And every fifth year, your taxes got adjusted. And there was, there was had to be like a housing boom in the late sixties. And what, how this really happened was down in LA and some old, you're right. An elderly lady was living in her house had the mortgage paid for it, And the assessor came by and said, well, your taxes are based on 19, you know, 39, sure. but uh, the house next door sold for a million. So now you're, your taxes are going to go up to 10000 a month. And it, they kicked her out of her house. That's what started this all. Now, to make it fairer, they did put in the 1%, 1.5% incline uh, increase. And so when when these communities, you know, moan about <laughs> they don't have enough money, they do get an increase. And the guy that was 20 years ago had a basis has gone up at least 20 25%. And if all the community's got to do is that, to me anyway, is that they have a fixed income because they know what that number is, and they ought to come up with their budgets to fit with the number that they have. Because if we go back and they don't have Prop 13, you'll have assessors going around under political pressure reassessing property to the places where people have to move out. George, I just think that's a lot of fear. I think we need to look at it, and we need to modernize this rule or this proposition. And I don't think anyone's talking about residential. I'm not talking residential. I'm talking corporate. Well, even even corporate, you start raising the taxes too high. Forget corporate because. Some but you got to understand, it hurts business competition. You're you're focusing in on it on a static level of that that poor business. It's going to raise their taxes, but it's going to help competition come in, which could drive prices lower or increase quality of service around the state. 
Well, I'm not going to. I won't argue the point that there's probably should be adjustments. I won't do that because that you're probably right. The, the danger you have, though, is a lot of buildings. A lot of buildings are owned by individuals or groups of individuals, and you start raising the taxes on them, and those buildings are going to go vacant, and then you got re, then you got people want to go in and do. Rehabs. I'm not. I'm not. I have no problem with that. If you know, business can't afford to pay their fair share or a modern share. I don't think they should be protected, and I don't think we as a nation need to live in fear of. Oh no, the poor business is going to go out. Well, I don't, I, I, now again, do we all agree that California needs to cut their spending? Yes, no doubt about it. I'm not saying they don't, but I don't think we can live in fear that this prop has to, is, is an untouchable holy cow. No other state has it. None. What does that tell you? Yep. The other side of that coin is maybe they ought to show that they can stay within the budget, and then there would be less fear of making the adjustments. But our budget is so broken. We've promised so much to so many groups. It's not new spending that's killing us, George. It's our commitments to old spending that's killing us, and we can't change that either without a vote. It's ridiculous. It is one of the most inane systems that you could possibly imagine. Thanks for the call. Let's go to James in Fremont. James? I've been unemployed all year, and I've been on disability for about four months, and I haven't been having any money taken out for taxes. Um, I'm going to be getting a job here in the next couple of weeks, and I was wondering if I should take uh, some of my 401K where I was working previously for two and a half years, uh, pull it out, because I think I have a 60-day period to roll it back over, or should I take it out? pay my taxes in April and take the remaining money and put it into a Roth so I can kind of diversify some of my uh, retirement. Yeah, I would be very, very cautious on taking any money out of a 401k. Um, In large part, you're going to get penalized on it heavily and you're going to get hit with taxes. So you're going to lose for every dollar you take out, you're going to get maybe keep 60 60 cents. So I I would not take the money from a 401k and put it in a Roth. No. I thought there was some kind of stipulation if you, as a couple, made less than $150,000, you could convert over to a Roth. You could, but you have to to pay the taxes. Uh, I thought there was something like coming up in 2011, 2012. You could spread it out over two years. And they're getting rid of that cap. So what does that buy you when they get rid of that cap? It's not going to get, it's not, you're still going to have to pay taxes, but you're going to be able to spread it out. So I don't think it's a good idea, James, for well, most you, people. You, you could do like income averaging. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Good luck. 800-345-5639. Let's go to Dave in Oakland. Dave? Yes. Yes, Rob. You really pissed me off this morning. You, you call that guy financially retarded. I understood exactly. You agree to raise taxes on his commercial property in which he runs his business. Your guest said, why don't we cut the schools? How about cutting the California Air Resources Board, where I'm sure you could find $26 billion of waste? Okay. What about rental property? You want to raise taxes on rental property also? That's my business. Okay. Also, there is a huge list. Have you ever looked at your tax bill? And seeing the 20 special assessment. Uh, Dave, do you agree that you're in the rental business? You own like 10 properties. Add on. You own 10 properties, right? The people. Pardon me? You own like 10 properties. I might have six. Okay, let's say you own six. Let's say I want to get into the rental property and uh, business. 
I'm going to be paying a higher tax rate than you. Not a tax rate. I'm going to be paying a higher percentage of tax based on the value of the same. If we were to both buy the same amount of properties, all let's say you have six $1 million properties, and I, have, I want to get six $1 million properties. I'm going to be paying a higher percentage of taxes than you because that's the way the law is set up. Well, that is true because I started in 84. Which, now, again, that's not that's fair. Older than me, that's not competitive. Really that's not competitive. That's anti-competitive. That's yeah. communism. That's socialism. What about the fact that I just bought property in 2000 and, and my taxes are $9,000? I have a $1,000 negative cash flow because my taxes are so dang high every month. I, but that doesn't – you don't fix the problem by saying we have to stay with the problem. I agree California needs to cut its budget spending. Everyone not, agrees with that. You cannot but, let the government keep taxes. But I can't, I can't compete with you and offer rental services with you because this rule that you got into 1985, and I'm trying to get into 2009. Yes, you sure can compete because you can go buy property at any time, and now is an excellent time to buy property, and it's based on what you pay for your property. You can get some great deals out there now, and as long as, like you say, you're why in do you think people? Area, why do you think people like me have businesses set up in Oregon and business set up in Washington? And business set up in Raleigh, North Carolina. You'll have to tell me why you set up in those areas. Because I don't pay business taxes there, and property taxes are lower. Our business taxes are humongous around here. They penalize you if you're late on your property taxes, your business taxes. They penalize the heck out of you. So they are getting money left and right. We do need to concentrate. They say the school district in Oakland just spent $80 million last year on consultants. That's what we need to attack is the wasteful spending. Absolutely. No, no one's arguing that. No one's arguing the consultants and the, and the pension plans. No one's arguing it. But this rule was created in the 70s, and it's outdated. Come on. Like everybody else, let's cut schools. Dave. Let's cut police. Dave, cut, no doubt. No, we all agree. Let's talk about the big wasteful organizations such as the California Air Resources Board. Everyone That's agrees, Dave. That's a different conversation, though. Stay on topic. If you and I want to, if you and I want to go into business, Dave, let's let's put us on the same side of the fence now. If you and I want to open up a hotel, we can't do it against Marriott. We can't do it against Hyatt because they've owned the buildings and they're they're protected in taxes from the 1970s. That's like we would have to get in a time machine to compete with them, and that's not fair. They're going to pass on when those taxes go up. Your rooms are going to cost them more. Or competitions going to come, or competitions going to come in, and have lower prices. You still have to pay those taxes, and if you let the government raise the taxes, it is going to be passed on to the consumers, or they will close up and they'll leave and they'll go to Oregon. I disagree. So you need I studied. To concentrate on what the state is spending. That's where the waste is. You need no, to. but that's a different conversation, Dave. You keep going there, and that's ignorant. Why don't you want to talk about the waste? And you can call me ignorant. You can call me financially retarded. But you need to concentrate where the state and the cities are wasting their money. I've Everyone agrees, Dave. I got to drop the call because you're just making. You're not staying on topic, and you got to stay on topic. Let's go to Scott Scott McCartney, author of Cracking Down on How Airlines Treat Travelers. What's your opinion, Scott, on Prop 13? <laughs> well, don't live in California. Don't have one. There you go. So, do you think uh, we should reform Prop 13? Do you know about Prop 13? I don't know a thing about Prop 13. Okay. Well, then I'll drop that. (laughs) So you were going to talk about the airline industry? Absolutely. You've written an article called Cracking Down on How Airlines Treat Travelers in the Wall Street Journal. It opened my eyes a little bit. I didn't know that there was rules out there protecting 
us and our bags, per se. Well, there are, and apparently haven't been enforced in, in quite some time, but uh, there there are. Uh, 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 airlines have imposed all kinds of limits on what they'll pay, when they'll pay, when they lose your bag. Uh, and it turns out some of that stuff uh, may not be um, allowable under federal rules. And so uh, for the first time in a long time, the Department of Transportation is cracking down on them. And to give an example, for instance, Spirit Airlines just got a big old fine thrown against them. And one of the things that they were doing incorrectly was – if they would lose your bag, they would say it had to be on the outgoing part of the flight and not the return part of the flight. And that's not what the rules say. That's right. Uh, the outbound part of the flight um, it only applied to round-trip tickets. Uh, they limited in the first 24 hours they wouldn't pay you anything um, on the theory that, uh, well, your bag might show up. Um, that's all well and good, but if you know you, the bag gets lost and you have to make a presentation in the morning and you need to buy a tie or something like that, you don't know if your bag's going to get delivered to your hotel room at 11 o'clock at night or whatever it is. So put put travelers in a in a terrible uh, situation, and and just the the daily limits that airlines impose on uh, well, you can't spend more than 25 dollars a day for uh, for your um, for your essentials uh, if they lose your bag. And the Department of Transportation has now said all that is is wrong. The only limit that airlines can impose is uh, the federal limit of $3,300 per passenger for for total liability. That includes whatever you have to spend for toiletries, uh, replacement clothes, uh, and also the cost to replace whatever they do lose. What happens if you have uh, a video camera that's $5,000? Is the airline only going to cover up to $3,300, or do you have a further claim? Well, no, you may not have any claim at all because uh, airline contract of carriage uh, does exempt things like valuables and electronics. Um, so that's uh, if you if you have a video camera, don't check it in the first place. Okay. So what other things should we not be checking? <laughs> uh, really, anything of value. Um, it, it's uh, the, uh, what what airlines pay, and this is an area that just drives consumers crazy um, because uh, they they will. Um, nickel and dime you uh, left and right on this kind of stuff. Um, airlines don't cover electronics. Uh, they don't cover medicine, uh, prescription medicines. Um, they typically don't cover uh, anything of, of value, valuable papers, uh, personal things like that. Uh, and even on things that they do cover, clothes, uh, um, you know, any kind of toiletries and, and, and all that, uh, they require receipts from the store of purchase. So example after example of people can go back and get their credit card bills and things like that and say, hey, I bought a $400 suit, uh, and here's the uh, where it was on my credit card charge. But if you don't have the actual store receipt, the airline isn't going to accept that value. And then whatever value they uh, assign for your suit, then they're going to depreciate it for, for wear and tear. So even if they say, well, yes, that's a $400 suit, but... Uh, we think uh, you wore it a few times, and now it's only worth $100. It's interesting stuff because the rules feel pretty arbitrary, and they don't feel like they get enforced because the airlines don't really have the Department of Transportation breathing down their throat on a regular basis, and we're just a small consumer fighting a big airline. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think uh, for for many years through the last administration, uh, there was very little enforcement. I've written about this before. The number of enforcement cases dropped um, that the government brought against airlines, and this is at a time when you know consumers were really complaining about airline service and having all kinds of uh, particularly difficult um, times with uh, with airlines. 
the Spirit case really sort of opened the, the door here. The Department uh, of Transportation uh, really came down fairly hard on Spirit, and part of Spirit's defense was uh, everybody else is doing the same thing. And it turns out they're right. Uh, and so uh, last Friday, the department sent out a warning, warning to airlines that they had 90 days to uh, get, it, get it cleaned up or uh, face um, fines and enforcement themselves. Thanks very much, Scott. Scott McCartney of the Wall Street Journal cracking down on how airlines treat travelers. We do have rights. We're just not very well aware of them. Coming up, Dan Rusnowski from the San Jose Sharks and Shelley. Who is this Shelley? You'll find out right after the break, 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. From time to time, I weave in some of my personal life. One of the things that I've loved since I was a child is going to National Hockey League games going minor hockey league games. I'll watch little kids play hockey and find it more interesting than what uh, is typically on TV. Joining me this season, going to be Dan Rusinowski. He's going to be on every day, every Friday at 11.15-ish. We're running a little late today. Dan, how are you? Who would go? Yeah, you're going to go. Um, Dan? Yes. Hey, it's Rob Black. Hey, Rob, how are you? Good. What you doing right now? Right now I'm sitting in a nice little restaurant in New York. Where they have lunch and having a good day. New York City, great. So, are you in New York City? Yeah, Manhattan. Manhattan, lovely. So, there's nothing better than lunch in uh, New York. Uh, last night, you were in Washington. You flew up to New York. You're heading out to Long Island before a game tomorrow night, correct? That's correct. Got the game tomorrow on Long Island. We're going to go straight up from Manhattan. It's only about 45 minutes. And then uh, we've got the game in Madison Square Garden on Monday against the Rangers. So, we kind of make New York City our base of operations. Now, let's talk a little bit about the game last night. Ovechkin killed us. Simmon killed us. The two Alexes. I listened to your broadcast. Yeah, as... Do we have to talk about last night? Do we really have to? <laughs> What's up with Actually, that? it was a marquee game. It really was a marquee game in the NHL. And, and Alex Ovechkin's unique. He's, uh, I think, the best player in the world right now. I think that, that that really was showcased last night. He got eight shots on goal in one period. That set a uh, tie to Sharks record, actually. Uh, for most shots by an opponent in one period against San Jose. It's kind of ironic that our old friend Jeremy Roenick held the record when he played for the Chicago Blackhawks, and that was 15 years ago that he did that in one period against the Sharks. So it's a very rare occasion. But this guy, and uh, Alexander Siemen, is another player that kind of goes under the radar. Nicholas Baxter, I thought, was, was pretty strong. He had made a beautiful pass to Siemen on that first goal. So... Their top guys were essentially better last night in that particular game, with the one exception being the losing goaltender. I thought you guys Bokoff was fantastic the whole night, and that, that's something that's a positive for this road trip. It looks like it's a six-game road trip that goes about two weeks. What's life on the road of a hockey team like? Well, it's sort of, a, I guess you could say it's like a traveling minstrel show. You know, you, you, you make your way from, from town to town, and uh, we've all got our favorite spots to go eat dinner. Um, we, we always like to try something new, but we like to, to visit familiar places and, and, uh, and share that uh, time with each other. The big thing about the hockey team is they get a chance to be together. There's no outside distractions. The only thing that they're really focusing on is hockey and bonding together and being together. And that's an important part of team building that happens every year. So, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, at, at some point during the season, usually not very early, sometime later, there's a long road trip, probably in February, 
they'll have a little fun and uh, and uh, you know have the rookies buy them dinner. That's just kind of a tradition in the NHL. That uh, it's much more civilized than it used to be back in the days when they used to shave these guys. But uh, um, beyond that, I think uh, I think that that's the, the main thing on the trip to focus on hockey, um, to focus on the togetherness and the team bonding that happens, and to get out on the ice and uh, learn a lot about yourselves and, and face the challenges. And part of that's dealing with things that happened, like happened last night. The fact that they faced a very good team. Washington had lost four games in a row. They have those star players that were due to break out at some point, and they were able to do it. Uh, the best part about it, though, is that not only do the Sharks get more chances on this trip to face some good teams and continue to build, but they get to come back home and play Washington in December. And I know a lot of guys will circle that date on the calendar to get the opportunity to give to Washington what they gave to the Sharks last night. One more question. I was talking to my wife last night um, about how great the New York Rangers playing at Madison Square Garden is. What's your opinion of Madison Square Garden? Because you're going to be in that building on Monday. Well, um, that's a very special place for me because it's where I really started becoming a fan of the NHL. I grew up in the state of Connecticut, Rob, and um, that's New York Ranger country. And I used to listen to the games on the radio all the time. Marv Albert and Sal Messina did the games in those days. And it's very interesting to note that uh, that's really where uh, uh, some of the most passionate fans in the NHL reside. New York fans are really like that. Everything's a little bit bigger in New York. And I've always said that... If I had to pick any team uh, for the Sharks to win the Stanley Cup against, for me personally, it would be the New York Rangers, but not for the reason you think, not because it was the team I rooted for as a kid, um, because of the great, you know, the great tradition of you know, people like Eddie Jockerman and Jill Villemure and Goal and Rod Gilbert and Jean Rattel, and of course Mark Messier and Adam Graves in the 90s, the team that actually won the Cup here. But, um, but for me, it, it, it's a bigger deal for the city of San Jose. I think that the Sharks winning the Stanley Cup someday soon will be um, a real coming-out party for the city of San Jose, which, as we all know, is the third-largest city in California and the tenth-largest in the country, but sort of uh, has fallen in the shadows over the years, uh, partly because of history, but partly you know, because it's a, it's a brand-new city, really, in, in terms of U.S. history, that it doesn't get as recognized that often. And I remember when I first came here to San Jose that um, I was watching Peter Jennings do uh, – do the nightly news on ABC. It was there the very first night. I didn't even, I didn't even have cable TV at my apartment. And uh, they gave a trivia question going to break in a typical teaser type thing that we like to do in broadcasting to keep people there through the break. And they said, where's the biggest city in Silicon Valley? And uh, the answer that they gave coming out of break was San Francisco. And I think that there were a lot of people in Silicon Valley, especially in San Jose, that, that, that certainly would have reacted to that. And they've always had their, 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 uh, their growing pains as a city. So in my mind, um, I, I like to look at it this way. If you play a city like, say, Buffalo or Ottawa in the final, and win the Stanley Cup, it's just as great as if you play the New York Rangers from a hockey standpoint. Uh, but from, from a, an overall big-picture standpoint, I look at it uh, as if nobody would ever question the credentials of New York City and Manhattan and, and winning in, in the biggest, biggest atmosphere in the world. So to me, that's sort of my private little fantasy about, about winning the Stanley Cup, doing it in a place like New York City or Montreal or Boston, one of those old original six cities. So it's very special to come here and to, uh, to broadcast games, even on Long Island, too, where they had a four Stanley Cup run. But for everybody in this area growing up here, uh, New York City and Manhattan and, and, and Madison Square Garden, it's the most famous arena in the world, and it's, uh, it's a special place to broadcast a game. Let's bring in my wife now, Shelly. Shelly's a hockey fan, and she's got some questions for Dan. Shelly, are you there? I'm here. So throw it Hi, up. Dan. Hi, Shelly. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for being on Rob's show. 
I, it's a pleasure to be here. I listen to it often, so it's it's great to great fun to be part of it. So I told him I would never go on air with him until I heard he got you on his show. <laughs> I'm, a, we yeah, I have a I'm big fan of hockey, um, big fan of yours. I just want to thank you for all that you do for the sport. Um, I've basically been following the Sharks live in, and work in San Jose for five years. Um, and I just, um, I love it. And it's, I think it's better than any other professional sport. Um, you mentioned well, earlier. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I, I agree with you. And it's not a surprise that, uh, somebody who's intelligent and is female likes the sport because uh, hockey is, is as popular with women among, among all the four major sports as any. So that, that doesn't surprise me. And it's a pleasure to have you as part of our team. Thank you. You just mentioned Ronick's record. Uh, last week, you and Rob talked about the heart of the game of hockey and the heart of the players. And I just wanted to talk Ronick for one minute. Um, I know he wasn't with us long. I think it was like two seasons, right? Uh, and we're still in the new season, and I guess we're still processing some of the changes. But um, in the first home game with the Jackets, which was such a great game, we, we got a glimpse of Ronick with the general manager, Wilson, in the audience. And I, I kept thinking of his spirit, the playoffs when he, at the end of the Dallas loss, shook every single player's hand with a smile, um, just that kind of remarkable spirit. And I was wondering if you know if Ronick is going to stay a part of the team from the sidelines, or and do you see a player that might fill that shoes on the team in, in, in terms of spirit and veteran men- mentorship? I think, I think it's a great question to ask. And, you know, Jeremy Roenick gave one of the most inspiring performances in the history of this hockey team in Game 7 against Calgary when he had a four-point game in what could have been his last game as a professional athlete. It turned out not to be, and it was because of him that um, I think players like Joe Pavelski and Tori Mitchell learned so much from that game, maybe more in an intangible, I should say, than any other way, to understand what it is to win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, as to what Jr. is going to do right now, he was, as you noted, he was there on opening night. He is a part of our, our team. He'll always be thought of as a shark going out. And I think that, that he wants to take some time to be with his family. He lives in Phoenix, Arizona area. And so he, he spends a lot of time coming up to see us. He'll probably catch us on the road. And I think before too long, he'll, he'll get back in the game somehow. And it could very well be with our organization, or it could be a national television for the personality that he has. So he's definitely going to be a big part of the game. and will always be a big part of the Sharks in their history. Oh, that's good to hear. So, and Dan, you've been, you said mentioned in the last segment with Rob that you've been covering the Sharks since 91. Is that right? That's right. It's right. And Two so years for the. Palace and the rest in HP Pavilion. Okay, wow. So for those many years that you've probably seen so many trades, obviously, with the Sharks, and I wanted to ask you, which trade do you think will be the best in retrospect? Do you think San Jose sending the forward Sturm and Primo and Stewart to the Bruins for Thornton or Heatley and the Chichu Mahalik trade? I think the biggest one might be another one. The one that brought Dan Boyle to San Jose last season. Um, it was a it was a very big trade at the time, and it was one that uh, that it may be the most important link to getting the Sharks to the Stanley Cup. I think the biggest one is the one you mentioned earlier, the Joe Thornton acquisition. That was the one that had the biggest splash. But I think that in terms of winning the Stanley Cup, the Dan Boyle acquisition might be as important or more important than the Joe Thornton acquisition, and it's the one we're going to look back on as being such a critical one for the Sharks. And you know what? Some of the trades that you don't make are as important, too. You know, when people talk about considering making moves, I know that last year that Patrick Marlowe, for instance, um, was on the rumor block. Um, He was never really a part of, of any trade discussions, but 
yeah, there were a lot of rumors in the media about about him. And the fact of the matter is, sometimes the best moves you make are the ones you don't make, and that was one of them for sure. Right. Um, you know, you and Rob just talked a little bit about last night's game, and I think the one thing that I took away from it was, um, and, and in considering the changes that we've had on the third and fourth lines, um, was Ferio. Um, his, He's an incredible, incredible acquisition, isn't he? Well, his shot was beautiful. So I, I had to, I had to look at the, the loss last night and think, well, there's a good glimpse of, of something that's going to be, you know, we want to see more of. One of the most important parts of the young season, especially from a general manager's perspective, is that you're able to uh, determine whether any of your young players are capable of being NHL players. And what that does when you find that out, when when it's in the affirmative, is that your organization becomes a lot stronger. When you get closer to the trade deadline, for instance, um, you might get interest from young from young players. So um, they, they have a proved track record in the NHL. Ben Ferriero is proving he can play in this league. He's, he's uh, done a lot of good things away from the puck when he doesn't have it. He can play on the fourth line and be a checker. He can jump up with Joe Thornton and play on the top line and be not out of place. And I think that the, the two players on the Sharks right now are Ferio and Jason Demers, the young defenseman who's in his first uh, full NHL season and second pro season. They've proved that they can play in this league, and so that makes the Sharks organization a lot stronger. And it also means that our general manager, Doug Wilson, has the opportunity uh, to uh, have expanded discussions, especially at trade deadline time when it comes to improving your hockey team because these guys now become valuable assets to talk about, and, and that, that's an important thing for any team. In being fairly new to hockey myself, um, can you answer the question, you know, when in the season are you seeing the real team? Is it after, you know, game 20, or, um, or is it, you know, it, when, when do you, in all your experience, feel like, all right, we're seeing the team that, that's been, you know, made to play? You start to see signs of it after about 20 games, and I think you start to, to see more signs of it from, from after the All-Star break, right around the All-Star break, you pretty much have to have your team together for that big run to the stretch drive to the playoffs. You have a lot of those elements. The final pieces are put together at the trade deadline oftentimes. But I think the, the essential foundations are in place by the All-Star break for how your team is going to behave, how they're going to act, um, what, what they have to react to. And that's not, that's not even including any injuries you might have to talk about and what you have to get over, you know. Joe Pavelski's been out for the last few games. Um, Tori Mitchell's been out for basically two years. And so those guys are just getting ready to come back now, and they need some time to get acclimated and into Todd McClellan's system too. So, like I said, I I think you need some time. I'd say by the All-Star break, you you should have at least the foundations of of what you have together. You go from there. Dan, I'm going to let Dan go, get back to lunch. Thank you so much for being on with us, Dan Rusinowski. Enjoy New York City and enjoy your lunch, Dan. Manhattan's one of my favorite places to visit. I've got all my favorite haunts. I'm putting check marks next to them now. We'll have, probably have a full report next week as we continue. Thanks very much. So that's Dan Rusinowski. He's the voice of the San Jose Sharks. You can hear a game tomorrow at 7 o'clock, well, 4 o'clock, 7 o'clock Eastern against the New York Islanders. This is a long road trip, and road trips tell you the character of a team. Shelly, are you still there? I'm here. So someone on the live blog said, you must be an incredibly tolerant woman to be married to me. <laughs> that's hilarious oh i don't think it's about being tolerant um you know i would say the one aspect about being married to you 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 help so many people and that's kind of your goal so i have to learn that 
to share, which is sometimes tough, but obviously totally necessary for all that you do. Good work with Dan today, and uh, we'll bring you back next Friday and get some more questions answered for the fair side of the, the sex, so to speak, and the better half of me. It's Shelly Black. Thanks, Shelly. Thank you, Rob Black. She's also what I refer to as my sugar booger. Anyway, 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. I always wanted to pull her into the show, but it had to be the right scenario. Hockey's the right scenario. Take a break here. I'll be right back. Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. You're listening to 9, 10 a.m. It's the Rob Black Show. It's not the Rob and Shelley Show. That's not going to happen. But on Fridays at 11.15, I'm going to invite my wife in to talk with Dan Rusnowski. Just, again, to get a different perspective on life and to get a different perspective of questions. Um, and I think she did a good job. Uh, the live blog seems to be saying nice things about her, which is, is, is thankful. Because the live blog is one of those areas where people can hide and say mean things. But they're saying she did a good job. I said that I was nervous for her. John says she's insightful in the sport. Way to go. Love smart women like that. Dustin says, Rob's talking about being a huge hockey fan, but his fanaticism is outshined by his wife. Um, it was good. So she did a good job. And uh, I appreciate the live blog for being nice because <laughs> it's an easy place to be mean at. Um, Barney on the live blog posted something probably about 45 minutes ago that I'm finally getting to. It's good content. He says, I can understand why Prop 13 was passed. But in passing the measure, it merely shifted the problem to another group, young professionals. That's the wrong group to put pressure on. We need every young person to help grow the economy. Like I said, our family's trying to move away from here. I've got an interview in Austin, primarily for that exact reason. Prop 13, the only people who defend it are the people who benefit from it. Everyone else in the nation would say you're insane as a state to have that. Now, again, I understand old people. So I'm going to say let's grandfather it out. I think the ability to pass it on to your children is sick, twisted, and demented. And I think that corporations could take advantage of it is also a bastardization of what the idea once was. And again, if you're on that side of the fence, you just have a a purview that's on the perverted side because you're benefiting from it. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. Big story today about Walmart and Amazon.com offering 10 hot books for the year at $10. No, no. $9. $9. So they're starting a price war with each other. That's kind of actually funny in my mind. Uh, it's, it's not hilarious, haha, but it is kind of funny. So other stories of note today. Google had a record profit in the third quarter. That's nice to see. Um, in large part, they're telling us a little bit about the state of advertising. Uh, declaring the worst of the recession behind us, Google reported soaring earnings with its biggest quarterly profit ever. Not too shabby, huh? Third quarter profit up 27% year over year. Biggest profit ever, $1.64 billion for Google. And they did, again said the recession appears to be behind us. And uh, they're saying we're getting close to making money on YouTube. YouTube is one of those monkey wrenches that hangs around their neck as far as uh, was it a good purchase and or not. Double click. Yeah, that was a good purchase. But companies have to justify their purchases. Story on San Francisco gate today. And this just stuns me. A San Francisco man has been accused of defrauding investors by more than $20 million in a Ponzi scheme that spanned 30 years. His name was Roberto Heckscher, 55 years old. He promised potential investors annual returns of 3 to 13% on commercial loans. 
Only problem is he never invested in, in commercial loans. Instead, he operated a Ponzi scheme in which he transferred investment money to existing clients as interest payments. He also used the money to gamble and speculate in the equities and commodities markets. The alleged scheme began in 1979. Ladies and gentlemen, good God, you can't just give your money to someone. You always have to have the money housed in your account. So always in your account. If you're giving money to someone and writing a check to that person's name, that's pretty darn dangerous. And you got suckered. Ponzi schemes are basically effective on ignorant people. I would never write a check to someone and say, oh, how's my money doing? And he'll, he'll come up with a pretty statement and say, here you go. Never, ever, never. Let's take a little bit of a break here because we ran long during the whole show. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's the Rob Black Show. Shelly texted me. Listen to this. this. You'll get a kick out of this. I said, good job. And she said, surreal. I said, it's crazy fun rush though, right? And she goes, for sure. Radio is one of those crazy fun rushes. 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show. 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Let's get caught up on the show. We've run really long today. Let's go to Larry in Oakland. Larry? Hi, Rob. Hi. I was interested in Oracle in the light of their going after IBM with hardware now that they, they've got from Sun. Not crazy about the Sun acquisition for Oracle. In large part, I'm not crazy about hardware. I prefer services, which is what IBM's really good at. Um, the hardware side, I think they would all get rid of it, Larry, if they could. But the hardware side's good because when you go after services, you could say, "Well, we can give you the hardware for free if you sign a service contract for ten years," and they could depreciate the asset on the hardware. So, I get it, but I don't like it. Um, do you own shares of Oracle? No, I don't. Okay. I think it's a great uptrend. I think it's a beautiful stock um, at this point in time. Um, And I think $21 is pretty cheap on the company. Again, I don't like the Sun Microsystems acquisition. I like Larry Ellison. He's cutthroat. He's consolidated his industry. He's picked up PeopleSoft and BEA Systems and Siebel and uh, Hyperion Solutions. And then he goes after Sun, which, again, that was a big one. Um, business tools, business data, uh, warehousing, customer relationship management software. One of the nice things about Oracle's business model, Larry, is once they get it in, it's tough to get out. Once you sell that database software to a company and get that service going, to rip it out, very, very expensive. So I like them, and I think they're a nice company. I think they're more of a trading stock than an investment. Their dividend's under 1%. That's not sexy. Um, I think the valuation grows in 2010. I think will be a pretty good year for the shares of uh, Oracle. Great. Thanks a lot. So, again, do you know what I'm saying, though, with the difference between trading stock versus one you want to own for the rest of your life? Oh, sure. Okay. I think it's tied towards economic cycles, and it's in, in a good part of that economic cycle right now, Larry. Thanks for the call. Thank you. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Oracle. Oracle. Um, consolidation is in the business software industry, and they've been they've been the leading consolidator. Now they just had Oracle World two thousand nine. Well, that's still going on right now, and well, I guess it ends today. It's Friday. Nice. <laughs> that's all I can say. Nice. Uh, FBR did a little bit of a, a user conference and analyst day. 
The recurring message during the week was that Oracle striving to deliver complete systems that span applications, middleware, database, and hardware now that they've picked up some microsystems. Again, that deal's still not done. It's still getting reviewed in Europe, for instance. With regard to the Sun acquisition, Oracle continues to stress that it's going to invest in Sun products despite awaiting approval from the European Commission. They think the relationship appears to be growing stronger than ever. Oracle just came out with the Exadata server, which is a combination of Sun's products and Oracle's products. Uh, pretty confident about the strategic direction of Oracle and the health of their business overall. So people feel pretty good about Oracle. And IBM just released pretty good numbers this week in earnings. And I, I would, I may be getting a little ahead of myself when I say what's good for IBM is good for Oracle. But I think it's more close than than not. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. This was an interesting chart that I, I had earlier this week, and on Friday, sometimes I just burn through material. The number of Santa Clara homes at risk of foreclosure, it's been growing by the most uh, at this month versus at any other period of time of the year. Banks have continued to file foreclosure notices. The number of homes in foreclosures in January, 1,728. How many foreclosure sales did we have? 455. Now, that number goes up to 2,000. Number of homes in foreclosure in March, number of foreclosed homes sold, 247. In May, that number goes to 3,100 number of homes that are in the foreclosure process, number of foreclosed homes sold, 480. In July, that number jumps to 3,500 number of homes that are in the foreclosure process, number of actually foreclosed home sales, 414. Now, the last reading that we had for September, 4,100 homes are in the foreclosure process in Santa Clara County. And the number of actual homes sold that were foreclosed, 415. So we've gone from a magnitude of 25% to a magnitude of 10. It's stunning. From 1,700 to four, uh, with almost 500 homes sold, you know, that's one in three. We were actually selling some of the foreclosed properties. We were building inventory for sure. But now we're building crazy inventory, 4,100 to 415. So the number of foreclosed homes, it's been pretty even all year long. Even though we've more than doubled number of foreclosed properties that are in the process of foreclosure. Interesting to note, in my opinion. Now, George Soros, you could love him or hate him because his ties to the Democrats. Uh, he helped fund the Obama election. Billionaire investor and philanthropist George Soros said that the world's current currency arrangements are fraught with danger and that the world needs global regulation. He said the U.S. dollar ought to be falling in value against the Chinese currency to allow the United States to contain its current account deficit. One nice thing, one well, not one nice thing. One of the nice things is a weaker dollar. When China is buying all of our bonds, they're getting a horrible price. Now Soros said because the um, let's see what did he say? He's talking about the greenback and the Chinese currency and constantly undervalued, leaving the dollar to sink against the world's other major currencies. He said that globalization of financial markets was built on a false pretense that financial markets could be left to their own devices. And he said global regulation needed. He says this is a tremendous challenge turning to the world economy. He says the world economy is going to have some growth, but we are bound to be flat. He said the United States is going to be a drag on the world growth. In China, he said he believes there's something of an asset bubble going on. Again, he's just important to read, study. You don't have to agree or disagree. One of the Fed Bank Reserve governors today talked about how he doesn't see a lot of inflation out there. He says no reason to raise interest rates in the United States anytime soon because I'm not seeing inflation. Now, his obligation is to fight price pressures, but he's not seeing price pressures. He doesn't see a V-shaped recovery, and he sees some anemic growth. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm off for the weekend. Hopefully, you're doing something good for the weekend. I'll be back Monday morning. 
10 a.m. on the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.